How do you do, neighbor? It's Marie and Spirits time once again. The boys have gathered around, and they're ready for you. So join in, make comments, and study with the guys as they try to study as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. And now, here's the guys. Okay, welcome to Berean Spirits. My name is Richard Dodson, and I am the minister at the Kearney Church of Christ. If you're a regular viewer of Berean Spirits, you probably noticed that Josh Thornhill and Chris Peltz aren't with me today, and that is because this is a special episode. We are going to be talking with Ron Griffin. He is an elder of the Paducah Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky. Hey, welcome, Ron. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great. That's the 32nd Street Church in Paducah. Oh, I'm sorry. And, yes, uh, it... <laughs> <laughs> I call it the Paducah Church of Christ. That's the only way I know it, but it is. I, I did know it was a 32nd Street, but. Uh, yeah, there's there are several churches of Christ in town, so yeah. they might get offended if they thought we were saying we were the only one. I don't know. I understand. I understand. Listen, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, uh, the comments that you make in the comment section, we really enjoy. However, you need to know that this episode is previously recorded. So you may be making comments in the comment section. Don't think that I'm ignoring you. It's just the fact that I don't see it as of yet. So, uh, this episode is previously recorded. So if you want to, uh, just go ahead and, and uh, send emails, you can send emails about the show to bereanspirits at gmail.com instead of leaving comments. Ron, you are a unique individual, someone that I have been wanting to have a discussion with because I think not only is it going to benefit me, I think you can benefit a lot of people by talking about your years of service in the Lord's kingdom. And one of the ways in which uh, you can help us is by talking about your work as an evangelist and as your work as an elder. And so that's kind of where I would like to have this discussion goes to talking about those very things. Now, Ron, to start off with, um, I know you're from Lone Wolf, Oklahoma. How many years well, that's were you where there? I, I, I was there from uh, the time I was 10 years old till I was... Uh, uh, well, I, let me let me back up a second. Maybe from the time I was eight years old, nine years old, till I was uh, almost sixteen, uh, it's where I basically grew up. I mean, that's you know where I went to most of my elementary and junior high and part of my high school. Uh, I'm a preacher's kid, so uh, we moved and uh, moved pretty often in my my young younger years and all over southwestern Oklahoma uh, and Lone Wolf's just a little bitty farming community in uh, Kiowa County and uh, southwestern part of the state and and so I kind of claim that as home I I was born about nine miles uh, west of there and and so that's that's where I grew up part of the state now, how did small town living uh, affect you as you were growing up? Well, it, you know, it's great. Uh, everybody knows everybody. 
uh, I had a paper route when I was young and I, I knew just about everybody in town and they knew me. And if you mess up, <laughs> everybody knows it and your folks are going to hear about it and you're going to well. be in trouble. And, uh, it, you know, it was, it was a great, place to grow up and a great way to grow up. Of course, that was a, in an entirely different time too, when uh, people did make it their business. Uh, if a child was doing things that were wrong, uh, they would report it to the parents. And, and if there's, you know, if, if something happened at school, everybody knew about it. It, it, so, you know, Hillary Clinton said it takes a village to raise a child, but it, it really uh, enforces the family uh, in, in those situations. And everybody kind of minds their P's and Q's because um, everyone's watching. But uh, it's just an easy way to grow up. And, and of course, everybody worked and, and the, it was a farming community. All the kids grew up working on farms and doing farm chores and things like that. So uh, you learned responsibility early. Tell us about your father. Now you, you mentioned being the preacher's son. Why don't you tell us about your mother and father and, and what it was like growing up in their household? Well, growing up as a preacher's kid made me never want to be a preacher. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, I saw, uh, you know, where sometimes uh, preachers were treated uh, differently. I mean, you talk about the glass house phenomenon, and uh, uh, I never wanted to to be in that again. I never wanted my children to to be in that situation. I I had a real bad experience when I was 15 years old in a church uh, th that. Uh, uh, I'm not going to talk about that here. I bring up other issues, but uh, it, it it put me in a position in a frame of mind where I said, I never want to be a preacher. And so that was uh, the influence that it had on me was to see how sometimes churches uh, treated preachers uh, especially in a situation where there were no elders and uh, men that uh, I scarcely saw in a business meeting shows up for a special business meeting to fire the preacher. <laughs> and, uh, and that was that a situation. And, and so I just said, I, I, I don't want to be in that position again, where people that don't even show an ounce of spirituality are, are trying things. And so that was that. Now your father's name was Harold. Harold. Yeah. Harold Griffin. Yeah. And your mother's name. Yeah. I don't think I know. What was your mother's name? Yvonne. Yeah. My mother's Yvonne. name was Yvonne. That's she, right. she died of lymphatic uh, cancer in 1985. So she and was now, pretty young, 67 years old when she passed. Yeah. Now I know you have a brother named Joe. Mm-hmm. Is he older? Yeah, Joe or younger? preaches. He's younger. He's almost five years younger than me. Four years and eight months, something like that. Younger than I am. Have two older sisters and two younger sisters. Uh, two sisters younger than Joe. So Joe and I are right in the middle of of 
two sets of girls. And you'd think that'd give us a good insight into the female psyche, but it didn't. <laughs> now, are all the uh, siblings, are they Christians? Yes. They're all Christians. Their spouses are Christians. Uh, that was one thing my dad was always happy to say. And that is, he said, uh, you know, I'm, my, my children are scattered out all the country and I don't know where they are at any time, except on Sunday, I can tell you within 10 feet of where they are. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Isn't that something? Yes, that is. Now that's a pretty, what you just described, uh, you talked about a, a young man who grew up in a small town in a farming community who obviously has been taught a pretty good work ethic because working a farm back then is that's hard work. Uh, I, I imagine you went yeah. and bailed hay. So, uh, that's oh, that, yeah. anybody who's ever <laughs> yeah. had a buck hay before the small bales knows how hard right. a job that is. And so yeah, you obviously a hundred pound bales. Yes. in that Oklahoma heat. So that mm -hmm. would have been, uh, that would have been something that would teach a young man, a pretty good work ethic. And then of course, uh, you were talking about now, now what years was this that you grew up? Well, I was born in 1949. Um, uh, so you do the math. I'm 73 years old. That was in the sixties. You know, I graduated high school and, yeah, I graduated high school in 1967. Okay. Now, uh, I remember, so, I mean, you know, discipline was then enforced in your era. Oh, yeah. Uh, because yeah. when I was in school, and I've told my son this, uh, all our industrial arts teachers had paddles that they used that were made of the material that they were teaching. For instance, our metal shop had a metal paddle, and uh, our wood shop had a wood paddle. And then I told my son how they used to drill holes in the paddles so there wouldn't mm -hmm. be, uh, you know, wouldn't be air resistance as they swung. So we right. were familiar, you know, and I, and I was in the seventies, I was born in 63. So we were familiar in that area with discipline, but, uh, going back to your time, uh, it was, it was absolutely, uh, impressed upon children about having discipline. So a good work ethic in a small town discipline and then of course you're, you're obviously from the sounds of your family all being christians uh you've all been given a a uh, as children uh you've been raised in the nurture and admonition of the lord it sounds to me like you had a pretty solid basis in order to go out into the world and uh, be of service to the to the lord well, that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, my, I, like I said, I had that experience and never wanted to be a preacher, but yet here I became one. Uh, and in my brother preaching also, he's a preacher. And, and so that obviously the basics, uh, the, the, the foundation on which we were taught and raised over uh, superseded and overcame uh, the bitterness and the obstacles that were thrown before before us. Uh, really, I uh, I was in the Air Force and um, I had been uh, in a situation in Korea where 
me and another brother in Christ was involved in a Bible study with some uh, denominational folks. And uh, this other uh, man, uh, he was a friend of mine. Matter of fact, we, we were bunkmates, I, I guess you'd say, uh, shared a cubicle together. Uh, and uh, uh, he, was a, he was a Christian, and um, he had been through a tre- preacher training program back home. He was from Flint, Michigan, and, and so he was able to do a good representation of representing the truth in these Bible studies that we were having, and I couldn't. I, I had not applied myself. I'd been going to going to church all my life and heard teaching after teaching after teaching, but admitted it to my memory. And so I couldn't really hold up my end. And, and I made a decision right then. I, I said, you know, when I get out of here, I'm going to go. And of course, there were no churches there. It was just Tom and I were the, were the church. And uh, I decided that whenever uh, I get out of here, I'm going to go to a congregation, ask the preacher to study with me so that I could stand up and defend the truth and, and know what the scriptures taught. And so that's what I did. I had a special assignment to Hawaii, worked on an elite security team and and uh, looked up the, the local preacher. And uh, at, at that time, uh, the, the local preacher uh, was in the process of moving, relocating in Hawaii for a number of years and, and wanted to uh, go back to the mainland. And so I, I approached him. His name was Ben Shropshire. Uh, and uh, he uh, he said, I'm getting ready to move, but you ask the next preacher to work with you. I'm sure he'll be glad to. Well, we hired a young man that was a year younger than I was, his first preaching job. And, and so, of course, he was extremely zealous to, to teach. And so he started what he called a preacher's training class. And there was like five of us in it. And uh, we all had to give a sermon as part of our, our teaching and training. And he taught us how to write sermons and study and so on and so forth. And so my first sermon was in Acts 2. And, and I, I preached it. And people come out and said, Ron, you're a preacher. You, you've got an ability to preach. And, and, well, that's fine. I don't want to be a preacher, but uh, I'm glad. So I preached again. It was my turn again, and I preached another sermon. And people come out and said, "Ron, you, you've you've got an ability, and you just have a natural ability to preach." And so my wife and I talked about it, and and based upon what Jesus taught in the parable of the talents, we discussed that well, if I've got an ability, maybe I have a responsibility. And she didn't marry a preacher and didn't want to be a preacher, and so we talked about that, prayed about it, and just before I got to the Air Force, made the decision I'd I'd go preach. And so Air Force offered me all kinds of incentives to stay there or stay in it. And but uh, 
I said, no, I'm going to go preach. And I, I remember the first sergeant saying when he was trying to keep me, get me to re-enlist, he said, there's no money in preaching. And I thought, well, there's a lot of money in the Air Force. <laughs> so anyway, I, uh, uh, I, I went and, and uh, church in Portage, Indiana took a chance on me. And uh, in June of 1973, I started preaching there. And, now uh, you had you a good work your, there. You mentioned your beautiful wife Carrie. Now she, uh, you're obviously I I didn't know this, but sounds like you were married to her before you became a preacher. Uh, where did where did you meet your wife? You're right at church in El Dorado. Oh, uh, my parents. My parents had moved to El Dorado, Kansas after I got out of high school, and I, I spent uh, wasted a, a year of my life in Dallas, Texas, trying to trying to get education in computers. And um, I, I'd wanted to go into the Air Force. Vietnam was going strong and heavy. The draft was after everybody, and that included me. And I had a school deferment for a while, and, and the, uh, of course, the draft board figured out after a while I wasn't doing that. So... Anyway, I, I wanted to join the Air Force, and my parents said, uh, well, come to El Dorado and spend some time with us before you, before you do. And so I did, and uh, the first Sunday I was with my wife. And uh, so we, uh, I courted her for a year uh, before I went into the Air Force. Con you know, the, the draft board hadn't caught up with me because I'd moved. And so... Uh, courted her for a year, and, and and finally I did get into the Air Force, and, and we married, and and that's where we met, and how that got started. So, and, you know, and you I, had, I was very blessed uh, to find a woman that was a Christian like that. Oh yeah, and and you've had together what two children? Is it? Yes, we had two children, a, a son and a daughter, and how many grandchildren? Four grandchildren. Or grandchildren. So you've had quite a family. You've had a, a great uh, family growing up and then uh, quite the family at the present time. And that kind of leads in to uh, something I'd like to ask you about. And that is family life for an evangelist. And if you don't mind, uh, if you could give some comments about the problems and the benefits, and you've already addressed some of these, talking about your childhood growing up. But if you can discuss family life for an evangelist, I think uh, many evangelists would probably like to, to hear what you have to say. Include the benefits of it and some of the things that uh, that might yeah, attract yeah, more. The, uh, you know, yeah, one of the reasons I didn't want to be a preacher was because we moved every two or three years. We were... I was fortunate that we stayed in Lone Wolf for seven years. That's where I did most of my growing up and everything. Uh, but all the other places we lived, we lived there at those three years. I, well, a lot of places, we just there a year. I can name towns, churches where we were at. And um, uh, that was one reason I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't want to have to move my family that often. And it's... It, 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 it's hard on kids uh, going from school to school, things like that. You hear about that a lot about children who are parents in the military and things. And that, that was very similar. And so that was one of the 
things I never wanted to do to my family. Um, and uh, again, the, the glass house situation where, you know, everybody uh, watches uh, the preacher's kids and, and what they do and, and everything affects the, the work of their father and, and everything. So uh, if a preacher doesn't have good kids, that, that reflects on him. And so uh, the, that was, that's one of the, the, the negative things. Now, something has changed since I started preaching, uh, and it's a good thing. And that is churches are beginning to realize that it's not beneficial to them to move a guy every two years or three years, that it really is beneficial to hang on to a fellow. So I've been fortunate to stay, to be with three churches for lengthy periods of time. And uh, I've been here, of course, I retired here, but I've been here in our eight, in our 18th year. And so, um, that that is a good thing that i'm glad that churches have and elderships have begun to realize that hey you know it, the longer we can keep a guy here working with us the better off the church is um so um the benefits of, of being a preacher is in, as far as family life is concerned you have a little more uh time that that is uh, uh, more flexible in your time. That's what the term I'm looking for. You, you have more flexible. In other words, your work hours are pretty much your decision. And uh, that uh, allows you to be, have more family time. For instance, you know, I, I was able to attend my son's uh, ball games and and uh, my daughter's uh, uh, musical presentations at school and things like that and it, activities with kids uh, and not have to worry about conflict and i could arrange my schedule to to that extent and then to uh, have a more home life so that's a benefit uh, and as far as family is concerned. And that's, that's in comparison to someone who, uh, works another job, perhaps, uh, a nine to five job. Uh, we're, we're not talking that that happened every time with an evangelist. I mean, there's, there's times things come up that you can't be with your family, but, uh, for the most part, I think, and that's what you're trying to say is that you do have the ability to be flexible. If you got to work on a sermon, for instance, you know, and your child has something to go that day, you can put that off till the afternoon. Uh, you know, that kind of flexibility. Right. But uh, I think that's what you're trying to say. But uh, and preachers, like, you know, preachers are preachers are kind of like firemen in that regards. Is we're always on call. <laughs> you know? So if 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 someone has an emergency or something like that, a family has a death, or someone suddenly. Uh, with a serious situation, then the preacher responds, you know, regardless of what he has going on. Uh, so, but, but yeah, for the most part, you're flexible. 
Now it's it appears that your uh, family has supported you uh, in in your preaching, and I would think that that would uh, work as an enabler. In other words, that's some it, with the backing of your family. Then it sounds like then that's a distraction that you didn't have to worry about. You could focus more on your preaching. I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. Because there are uh, some, of course, uh, a, a preacher has to, uh, you know, manage his time well. Uh, you're much, uh, I've known of some churches that demanded a preacher be in an office from eight to five or something like that. And that's, that, that really isn't realistic to what a preacher does, but, but a preacher does have to manage his time. He has to 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 spend the time studying and preparing his his lessons and his classes, as well as the presenting classes and teaching classes, not just at the church building, uh, but at, in homes. And uh, so it's a busy work if if a person's doing it the, the way they should. It's a busy work. Now, Ron, how long have how many years did you preach? I know you're retired from preaching. You're an elder now, but how many years did you preach? Uh, 1973, I retired in 19. Uh, so that's, uh, help me do the math, 46, 47 years. I spent uh, three years in law enforcement. Uh, and uh, full time, and and two years, two a little over two years part time in law enforcement, uh, and um, that was just to because I I was shared with that in the military. I uh, I actually thought I, that's what I would do when I got out of the Air Force was going to law enforcement, and so I tried it uh, and. Uh, during that time, but but even when I was in law enforcement, I still preached regularly at the local church I was with, and uh, held meetings, used vacation time to hold meetings. So I didn't really stop preaching, and I went to school full time, used my GI Bill to go to school and and preached uh, where you're preaching now. Not the same people, not the same church, but the same location. Um, while I was in school and did all the preaching and teaching there, just almost like a full time. Uh, I told him, I said, I'll do all the preaching and all the teaching at, in the classes, but don't expect me to go out doing a lot of uh, visiting and things. Cause I, I was this full-time student, but anyway, I, I, uh, preached, uh, that way for, uh, two years, a little over two years. So, um, uh, throughout, uh, throughout that four, 40 some odd years, I, I had a couple of kind of breaks, uh, but still was preaching much like I am now. You know, I say I'm retired, but I still do a, quite a bit of preaching. I still have meetings scheduled uh, and enjoy doing that and also fill in work, uh, both here and at other congregations in the area. Well, let's talk about expectations because when I know when I started preaching, uh, I I really thought that if I preached something that uh, people would make a change and it would happen immediately. And I come to find out that that just doesn't happen. 
Uh, and so that's a, that's one right. of my expectations that I learned, uh, from the beginning that I found out that was different. So let me ask you this, what were your expectations when you started as an evangelist? And then if, you know, you might compare that to how your expectations may have changed or, you know, if there's even a, a change that preachers should have today versus what you experienced. I know I well, just gave you a lot. <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, <clears throat> because of my upbringing and because of what I saw in my dad as a preacher, my expectations were pretty low, actually. I mean, I didn't have unrealistic expectations. Uh, I And I probably had a bit of an attitude uh, about... Uh, how I would uh, respond to uh, uh, business meetings and, and things like that. Uh, and uh, I, I kind of had an attitude, I'm not going to be pushed around. And that's not necessarily real good, but it's not too bad either because you don't want to be just uh, road over. Uh, people, sometimes people in the church, especially when you don't have elders, and we'll talk about that, but... Um, when you don't have elders, everybody thinks they're in church sometimes thinks, well, I'm, I'm his boss, I'm his employer. And um, that can be a, a, a negative thing. And I understood that. I went in knowing that. And so I did not accept that uh, position. I, I would not uh, allow people to... Um, treat me that way and and so that was that was probably a lot different than a lot of preachers uh starting out uh, i and that's probably why i was able to uh stay to last uh, i've known a lot of young men go into preaching with an idealistic view of how preachers are treated and viewed and they because they've always looked up to preachers and venerated them they thought they would be looked at that way and it's not true uh, and so i've known a lot of young men who didn't last long as a preacher or a full-time preacher uh, because they found out they weren't venerated and held up on a pedestal like they thought they would be and respected uh but uh and and i've even known some who lost their faith out of that we we can't have faith we can't put our faith in brethren we put our faith in our lord and we serve him regardless of how the brother treat brethren treat us and that's the number one lesson i always try to tell young preachers is you're serving the lord and uh, don't don't think that uh, the way that uh, other people may treat you or look at you is reflection on on uh, the work that you do. Well, that's an interesting point because, uh, I think that is something that, uh, young preachers need to, to take in, you know, take good advice from, uh, there's been issues though, that, uh, they always are issues. I mean, people have asked me, Ron, about certain things in the Bible being controversial. I've had some people say, don't preach on this. It's too controversial. Don't teach on this. Too many people will get upset. And I always say the same thing. What in the Bible isn't controversial to somebody? 
but uh, yeah. there's there's always been issues, and you have faced uh, a, a set of issues in your lifetime that uh, are different. I'm sure based on different era that you're in. I mean, for instance, we're dealing with a whole different set of issues in today's world that I never would have foreseen when I was growing up. And I've, I've tried to, uh, in fact, I preached a lesson not long ago, how I understand how the, uh, the older Israelites were sad when the temple was rebuilt and how they cried because they saw the glory of Solomon's temple and uh, and I seen I actually am old enough to have seen a a simpler and better way of living than what we're experiencing now, and and you especially have have seen that you're a little older than me, and so it is sad when we think back of, of how this country has changed uh, in our our lifetime, and so I'd like for you to address a little bit about that because there have been issues. Uh, that have changed. Talk about some of the issues that you had to face early and then, you know, how that has evolved into uh, uh, some of the things that we face now. If you don't mind. Well, uh, yeah, of course I, when I started preaching, I wasn't far from the, from the battles over institutionalism in the church. And um, uh, that was uh, something that, was um, dealt with a lot in, in subject materials and things like that. Um, there, there have been various issues that hit brother. And I, one of the things that I've always felt about issues is the one lesson that we need to learn more than anything is what is, uh, what, what issue is worth, um, uh, debating over, I'll say, and, and what issue isn't, you know, we, we have to understand the difference between what is legislated, what's necessary and, and what is not necessary, but, a, but a matter of personal conviction. And too many times brethren try to make their personal convictions issues in doctrine and in, and in teaching. And, um, I've always felt that it's un unfortunate that brethren can't separate the difference between sometimes what is necessary and, and what is a liberty. Uh, regardless of that, the one issue that's always been with us, of course, is just worldliness and, and technology today is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because of the way we're using it right now. We're able to take the gospel all over the world and, you know, sitting in the comfort of our own office or home. And uh, yet the, the technology can be easily abused, especially our young people. I'm very concerned about our young people's use of uh, technology and, and social media. Uh, social media is a tool of the devil many times. And uh, people say things about other people and things that they feel like they have no uh, consequences as a result of it. They can just be as mean as they want. And that affects people. And, and 
we have to make sure that uh, Christians understand that, you know. Uh, and so, uh, like I said, worldliness is is always the number one issue. It has different forms. It changes from generation to generation how it how it affects people. I grew up. Uh, modesty has always been an issue. I, but when I grew up, of course, the mini skirt became popular. And I remember preachers preaching again. I preached a lot on it. And and uh, so we kind of got away from that a little bit. Uh, but now we've got all we've got a different kind of deal, like uh, these uh, leggings that that are, you know, skin tight that people now calling slacks. And, uh, uh, it, you know, that's an issue. And so, uh, modesty, uh, is an immodesty is always an issue that we have to deal with. And, uh, so is, uh, alcohol and drugs for that matter. You know, uh, Christians are not immune from the ills of the society. And those are all issues. Um, as far as some of the brotherhood issues are concerned, like I said, I, I, I think the, and I don't mind addressing uh, those issues. I try not to become, uh, to get too personal as it were with, uh, with it, but I, but to teach on the, on, okay, here's what the truth is. And this is what's being practiced. And you just, you know, this is what the scriptures teach. This is what's being practiced. You need to understand the difference. And uh, that's kind of the way that I've addressed uh, issues. Uh, I've tried not to become personal and uh, uh, in, in those matters, uh, calling names and things like that. that. That usually is not beneficial, doesn't really help people assimilate the truth. Well, let me ask you this, Ron. When you started as a preacher, did you ever in your wildest imagination ever think that you would have to deal with gender identity? No. And, and, uh, you know, even homosexuality for that matter. Uh, uh, these are issues that have come up in the last 15, 20 years. Uh, gender identity, something very new and never imagined that these things would be so openly uh, accepted and promoted. So the, so it, it scares a lot of uh, Christians. What, you know, where if you, if you speak against these things, you're a homophobe or, or you're a misogynist. If you teach on the roles of men and women and, and it's, these are the tools the devil uses to silence the truth. And we have to be bold enough and, and courageous enough to stand up against those things in the pulpits and our teaching, uh, even in our, in our public teaching like this process right here, we have to be bold enough to stand up for the truth and, and to teach these things, regardless of how the enemies uh, of the truth would attack us and, and call us names. We have to have thicker skin than that. We have to not worry about what society says about us, but what God thinks about us. I want to add 
uh, a little comment in here for our listeners. I, Ron was the gospel preacher at uh, the Vivian Road Church of Christ when I was a young man, around 15 years old. Very impressionable. In fact, he taught my high school Bible class, and um, which was a pretty difficult class. I was one of three boys who sat in the back, and uh, we were we were we were hard to deal with. But now I want to say this, uh, and I had forgotten about this because I made the comment on Berean spirits, and Ron was watching, and I was reminded of this. But uh, humanism is the mechanism that the devil has used to bring about such issues like homosexuality and, and uh, uh, this gender identification, these types of things that took place. And it was Ron who uh, uh, was preaching on these things without even thinking about you know it going that far, I'm sure. But uh, he was preaching on these things back uh, during the uh, time I was there. Uh, and I'm getting ready here, March 4th, turned 60 years old. So you're talking about a long time ago. And so you can see that the need to warn the flock about certain things when a preacher sees an issue that can lead to something bad, it can lead to something far worse than you can even imagine it getting, but you still need uh, to warn the flock, as we know from Ezekiel. We, we have to be watchmen, and we have to be warning the flock. And so I just wanted to add that personal comment because it was something that I remembered, and, and I do remember Ron preaching on it. So that's one of the issues uh, that I think our listeners could take uh, uh, heed to as far as the preachers go. They need to be warning the flock about these mechanisms that the devil uses in order to try to bring about sin. Uh, Ron, I want to ask you this, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit. As a preacher, sermons, preparation, um, that's a pretty important topic because sermon preparation, and, and I know this, it takes a great deal of study. If you're, if you're someone who loves the truth, if you're engaged in the truth and you want to promote the truth, then you want to be right. I mean, being right is the most important thing when you're going to deliver a sermon. I, that's, I don't even think about uh, the delivery uh, when I'm preaching as much as being right, double-checking, studying, preparation. And so, Ron, as I, I would like to hear your thoughts on this as someone who's, who's, who's prepared many a lesson. Uh, tell us about sermon preparation and, and some things that might uh, help a younger preacher in, in doing this. Well, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> uh, try not try, try to give us the highlights of it. Yeah, one of the one of the things that is a benefit today uh, that I didn't have till well well after about 1999 or so 2000. So I'd been preaching several many years uh, is the ability to to search information on the internet and uh, and of course that even that didn't come out to what 2010 and 12 something like that so so uh, uh, you know we we had our books we had uh, concordances and and lexicons and 
and uh, even some commentaries and things that get give us ideas about what people were thinking and thought about certain scriptures and things like that. Uh, I can't, I can't even imagine how many sermons I wrote using a concordance just to find the same how the same word was used in the scripture and and so on and so forth how the scriptures used it and and so your research materials are extremely important and as i said today it's just so easy to get information uh i i even have a program in my uh, computer bible soft program that allows me to to do a lot of research quickly and to find words and and uh definitions and things like that. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that I've seen a trend toward to some degree is it's kind of the influence from our denominational friends, I think. Preachers taking one verse and preaching a whole sermon on one verse I, I'm I'm a kind of guy that I like to, if I make a point, I want to show where that point's made in scripture. And often, even not just one scripture, but maybe three or four or five, which some people think is too many scriptures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've been, uh, people have, I've heard people even say, man, that guy uses a lot of scriptures. And I was in a meeting in one place and the guy got up afterwards and said, well, it looks like we're going to hear a lot of scriptures this week. And is that a problem? You know, and the reason why preachers need to use more than one scripture is because our denominational friends can use one scripture. You know, take take, take a point and, and just use one scripture without showing what the rest of the scriptures teach. So uh, I... I, I firmly believe in showing people, look, what I'm teaching is coming from God's word. It's not coming from uh, somebody, what somebody else said or what I think or what some theologian thought 200 years ago. It's coming from what scriptures teach. And I think that's important. Get into the scriptures. Uh, don't get into uh, your uh, theological teaching or training or, or, or philosophies. And of course, Paul warns about that Colossians uh, two and verse eight, you know, beware of the philosophy of men. And so uh, that is preparing a sermon. I've, I've often heard it said, if you're going to teach a class for every, for every hour you teach a class, you need you know, four or five hours of study. And I think that's the same as uh, script as sermons. That's something else that's changed since I, when I first started preaching, if you didn't preach 45 or 50 minutes, you weren't preaching. Now people don't want you to preach over 30 minutes. And I don't know if, if that's because of message overload, people just tired of hearing it or, or what, I, you know, it, we can we can sit in a movie theater for two and a half. Well, this this new movie out, uh, uh, you know, three hours long. Or something I haven't seen it, but people have told me about it, and and uh, it's an animated thing, and people can sit through that, but they can't sit through a you know forty forty five minute sermon. Uh, but uh, that's uh, that's my advice on sermon preparation. Use your uh, research uh, and and 
do do the uh, scripture, get into the scripture. You know, that uh, the generation before Ron, my mother and father told me about this when they were growing up uh, in Arkansas. The only preachers that came through were uh, uh, in the spring and in the fall. Yeah. Because uh, nobody had a located preacher. And right. so when, when the preachers came, there wasn't no time limit. I mean, this is the only opportunity that everyone had to listen to preaching. And so they just, they just went and, you know, people would come and go, but as they had to, but the preachers just kept teaching and, uh, for whatever reason, and it is a sad reason that, you know, that sermon, I know, for instance, I need to be done by 1130 or I, I'm going to hear about it. And, uh, uh, and that's been uh, uh, the places that many, you know, many situations where uh, brethren would get up and leave if uh, a sermon wasn't finished by a, a certain period of time. But uh, and that is that is unfortunate. But uh, needless to say, uh, sermon preparation is 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 vital to delivering the message. And that's something you know, Ron brought up the computers, and I want to comment about that too. Because uh, I remember, Ron, I just wore out my Strong's Concordance. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'd be thinking, I, I know I got, there's this passage and I can't remember where it is, but I know it's there and I got to find it, you know, and you're just whipping through, looking, trying to find, you know, based on one word that you remember from that, uh, from that passage or verse. And, you know, it took a long time to be able, especially a new preacher, to be able to uh, to properly prepare for a lesson. Now, I do want to bring something up, and this is personal. Ron impressed my life a lot more than I ever gave him credit to, and I didn't realize it until I started preaching. And uh, I remember preaching... And I had always had, I, there was a time, Ron, when I just wrote my sermons out entirely and I would proofread it. It was like an article. And I mean, you know, the, the, the sermons were pages long and I would get up before everybody and it was almost reading it. But I mean, that's, that's the way I did each and every week. And it was my brother-in-law, Chris Pelz of the Southside Church of Christ who encouraged me to uh, put that away. He said, you I've heard you speak. You know this stuff. You don't need to do all this. Well, I remembered Ron Griffin. In fact, I even remember the lesson. It was a Sunday night, and for whatever reason, Ron got up before the audience, and he could not he could not preach the sermon that he prepared. And I remember him looking out in the audience saying, I don't know what I'm going to preach. And then he smiled and he went up to the chalkboard and he drew a line representing everyone's timeline uh, that they lived on this earth. I don't know if you remember that, Ron, uh, that lesson, but uh, that stood out to me. But the lesson that I learned was, and that I learned as a young man, that you got to be ready. You got to be ready because things can come up and you need to be ready to preach something that may not be the lesson that you prepared. So you better prepare beforehand for the, un, you know, something that can come up that uh, you're not expecting. And, uh, and sure enough, I was sitting there and that very same thing happened. 
And I told myself, I'm a preacher. I got to get up and preach. And I don't know what I'm going to preach on, but I better figure it out pretty quick. And it, it was sermon preparation that enabled me to recall the very things I needed to do. And so I got up without any notes and preached a lesson. And it was all based on all these hours of work that I had done previously. I recalled it. And I remember people in the audience coming up to me afterwards saying that was the best sermon they'd ever heard me preach. And so from that point on, you know, I quit writing out the, the, the sermon material, but, uh, uh, yes, sermon preparation is vital. You, you need the Bible study because you never know when you're going to have to just get up and preach because you are a preacher and it may not be something that, uh, you know, that you may not be readily re uh, prepared for, but you may be more prepared for it than you think. That, that's just a little thought that I wanted to add. Um, but, uh, and I had, I, I owe a lot of thanks to Ron for that because I seen him do that. Uh, yeah, Ron? I, ex extemporaneous preaching. I love to do that. I still do that once in a while, just get up and open the Bible and go for it. But go ahead. Well, tell me something, uh, as far as skill sets that evangelists have, uh, some evangelists ignore certain skill sets and, and, and others neglect it. Uh, do you think there are certain skill sets that evangelists today really need to be focused on more than they, that they are? For instance, memorization, is that something that uh, preachers need to work more at? You know, I never really worked very hard at memorization, but, but, I, but I did a lot of quoting in scriptures. And the reason why is because I was using them all the time. That's, that's a form of memorization, just your repetition. And, uh, but um, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big proponent of that. I, I really encourage more uh, of knowing where a scripture is found and, and, and basically what it says, not necessarily being able to quote it word for word, but just knowing how to get to it real quick. Uh, so I've, I've always been a bigger proponent of, uh, of knowing where a scripture is the book chapter and verse and basically what it says so you can go to it and uh, even though i in in years past uh, did a lot of quoting and and uh, uh that's i don't know i i think that just there's nothing like being able to open your bible and read it and getting it that way. One of the things that uh, I'm, I don't know, I'm not real big on is all the different translations that are out there today. I, I understand uh, the difference in why there's some different translations, the revised versions versus the uh, King James version and they, uh, built upon the different text. Uh, rich, uh, but uh, uh, I, to me, it's confusing when people are using all kinds of different translations, and you're trying to follow along in your Bible, and it, it don't, you know, it, it just don't read this.
So, uh, but anyway, your scriptures. Okay, Ron kind of, I think Ron, froze. let's see if he comes back in here in just a second. There he is. Okay, Ron, you with us? Yeah, I'm, I'm back. Uh, let's move on, if we would, to, uh, um, let's talk about uh, the work of an elder and an evangelist at the same time. You've done both. And that's that's chewing a lot. Uh, it's it's scriptural because the uh, Apostle Peter was both, so it's 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 absolutely scriptural. But that's a lot of work for one man to take on. I'd like to get your some of your comments on that. Well, obviously, if, if you're going to preach and be an elder you already have a lot of experience hopefully as a preacher and um, so you don't have to spend quite as much study time as you have before as when you're younger and and and, and so you know I can whip out a, a sermon outline real quick now and and but uh, uh, one of the things one of the kind of the private policies I always had, and I told the other elders this when I was preaching all the time, this is this with, I was a preacher and an elder at a church in Benton, Illinois for six years, and then here for several years, seven or eight years. And uh, one of the things that I said was anytime the elders have anything to say before congregation, the other elders need to be the ones, not me, because as the preacher, I'm before them all the time. And uh, people, people give the preacher uh, enough uh, uh, credibility as it is without him getting up and, and using the position of an elder also. So, so basically, elder, I was uh, always kind of behind the scenes as an elder, so to speak. In other words, uh, in making decisions and things like that with the other elders and, and whatever contribution I might make as suggestions on how to help the congregation uh, grow spiritually. So uh, that and, and also sometimes people get the the. the Concerned that well, if the elder, he'd be like the head elder because he's already maybe uh, more knowledgeable or whatever. Uh, but uh, that that uh, that you just try to avoid that appearance uh, altogether and and uh, not make a not make a big splash about being people already want to make the preacher the pastor sometimes uh, when you don't have elders it's it's a real challenge for preachers when they don't have elders um, is to not become the main spiritual leader of the congregation even though sometimes it's kind of thrust upon you uh, but as an elder and a preacher you just kind of have to balance two positions and uh, not use to uh, elevate the preacher position 
and so on and so forth. If you catch my drift, in other words, they're, they're two different jobs and you got to kind of make sure people understand they're two different jobs. We have been visiting with Ron Griffin and Ron, we've been going for an hour now, so I think we're out of time, but, uh, we certainly, uh, appreciate your time with us this morning. And we especially, uh, appreciate your work in the Lord. It's service that you've given him through the years. And if I can personally speak, uh, I'm, I'm very much appreciative of it. Uh, Ron, as I said, he preached at a, a very impressionable time in my life. And I doubt, doubt seriously <laughs> that, uh, when Ron, uh, saw me as a young man, that he ever thought I'd be a gospel preacher. But it just goes to show you don't know, and that's why you preach. You don't know. And I got to tell you, there was a, a young man who came into Kearney. Well, he would he would come into Kearney, and he would uh, he just acted like he didn't care, and he'd come up and talk to me sometimes. And I'd look at him, and I'd say, Richard, you're you know take this boy seriously. You don't know what he might become, and so uh, it's very important to uh, believe in people and preach to them, no matter how they may be coming across to you, because you never know. They, they may be a gospel preacher someday. And so for that, Ron, uh, I, I do give you my sincerest. And I thanked you before I preached down there at 32nd street. I thanked him before the church. And I am, I am very appreciative for the uh, service that Ron and others have given the Lord. And, uh, and, and like turn, I tried to do the same for other people. Ron, you got any closing remarks? Well, I'll, I'll say I wasn't surprised to hear that you're preaching. I I was really impressed with you as a young, when you were young uh, in my classes. I You were just, you know, you were 15 and, and 16. That, you know, that's, I understood that. I was that age at one time. So, uh, but anyway, uh you know, I, it's been a pleasure in our relationship that we've had the last few years uh, as preachers. And, and, uh, it's, I, I appreciate the invitation to participate in this and I hope that it's been somebody. Okay. Well, listen, we will be coming to you again with Josh and Chris, and I hope everyone tunes in every Thursday morning at 10 AM for Berean spirits and join us for a Bible study. We uh, will be looking into another topic that uh, will be beneficial to each and every one of us. Until then, remember, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice in it and be glad. Well, folks, that's all for today. Don't worry. Lord willing, the guys will be back next week for another Bible study on Berean Spirits. Until then, let the guys hear from you. Drop them some email at reinspirits at gmail.com. They'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep studying that Bible.